Hello and welcome to Gatsby Fridays, a show about getting the best out of a creative life from two creative directors working around the world and based in New York City. I'm your host Alex Tramilio. And I'm Sarah Semi. Today we talk with guest Jonathan Jarvis about what drives his creative process to create compelling narratives. Every part of our creative life, from the words we speak to the ideas that we share, can be traced to the stories we tell. But how best can we tap into the stories that shape us? And at the end of each episode, we make a signature cocktail of toast. Cheers to you. So hang with us as we take on storytelling. I'm Alex. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Sarah. And this is Gatsby Fridays. Before we get into our conversation, I want to introduce Jonathan Jarvis. He's an accomplished entrepreneur, designer, and director. He started the company Universal Patterns and founded Token, an AI-assisted company. And during his tenure at Google, he launched Google Assistant and their new brand identity and logo systems. Jonathan, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. Oh, thanks. Happy to be here. So we typically start the show with how are you and what are you wearing? I'm good. I am wearing jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> but you, you have a you have a an AOL t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the a, disc. An America Online uh, 50 free hours CD. <laughs> I remember that CD. Those are probably collector's items now. Well, yeah, they are. The Smithsonian has uh, an archive project to archive all of the AOL CDs. So they have these high-res <laughs> images of them. Get out! Yeah, and when I stumbled upon it, I thought it was so cool because these were some of the most impactful pieces of marketing of my life. Like yeah. They were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. I got the them world. in the mail all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, the museum started collecting them, and then they scanned the high-res images. And so I started like making T-shirts with the AOL CDs oh, on. Oh man, I should have saved them. Yeah, oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Sarah, how are you? Yeah, I didn't grow up around that time. I wasn't here then. Oh, you know, but you, I mean, I caught the dead end of it, like '98. '98. We thrown all the CDs out by then. There were no CDs anymore. They weren't. You didn't get a hard copy. Do you know what a CD is? <laughs> I didn't grow up on the moon. <laughs> Um, no, it's uh, the the AOL thing wasn't a thing by the time I got here. I and when you, when I got here, you know, I I didn't have a house. I that was in college dorm, so you did not like you know set up your own like AOL internet or whatever. So what like, was no. your what was your main search engine that you used? I don't know whatever the school had like on installed on the browsers. I like don't know. Netscape Navigator. Probably, Probably. Explorer or something. Explorer. But like the AOL thing was very foreign to me. <laughs> I didn't understand what it was for the longest time. So. Uh, you're gonna be, you're gonna be uh, don't judge me, but I still use my AOL email. Oh, I know. You it's really? in my phone book. It's in my phone book. That's where all the that's where all the trash goes to. So it's easy it's easy to kind of filter out what I don't need to listen to. The fact that it actually works is another miracle. I know that's crazy. That's I mean, crazy. it's kind of an ironic, cool thing at this point. At this point, it's it's it has it circled back around like bell bottoms. <laughs> it's like a postcard. Sarah, how are you, and what are you wearing? I'm good. I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, this um, is really good. We talked about this for a long time. I'm wearing uh, my summer uniform, white linen shirt and baggy jeans, and um, just a little more of a fall theme, where it's like a little bit more covered up. It's not mm. as loosey. The denim is darker. Denim Summer's gets darker. Over. I'm grumpy about that. I'm okay. How good. are you? What are you wearing? I'm good. I'm feeling good. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm wearing a tie-dye t-shirt that my kid made. And uh, a black skinny jeans. I know skinny jeans are out, but these are the jeans that I had available. And white Vans. I'm feeling good. This is exciting. Thanks, Jonathan, for being here. Yeah, this is great. You guys look fantastic. Jonathan, who is the best storyteller in your family? I think my sister is the best storyteller in my family. How come? Because she finds her own stories so funny that she just starts laughing like, uncontrollably. <laughs> but it feels so good when she does that. Yeah. Like, it's really charming when she does it. And then, <laughs> I was going to say my dad, first of all, because... I was, I was thinking about the topic, and I think that's, like, where my storytelling comes, but my dad's stories are, like, super long-winded, very tangent-prone. Because like, he, he knows so much. Yeah. And so he'll, like, he'll be, like, taking you through. It's like, well, and then I screwed 
the screw into the left corner, and then I screwed the other screw into the right corner, and then I screwed the screw into the top, and then I screwed the screw into the bottom. It's thorough. <laughs> that's, that's so dad, though. That's so dad energy. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Yes, very thorough. More thorough, usually, than the audience needs. Do you, were you, when you were a kid, did you put yourself in the center of the stories that you told for yourself? Like, were you always the hero? Were you always... How, how did you perceive yourself in the stories that you I was grew really up into with? things like Dungeons and Dragons and, like, going on quests. And so I was, like, usually a knight or a oh, prince. That makes sense. Yeah, like very scavenger hunting. Yeah, yeah, very hero. But it was, uh, it was like, I'd play with my brother, I'd play with my friends and set up uh, a quest mm. to go on. And so, like, ostensibly it was for them, but it was... For me, <laughs> yeah, you know, like I participated, but it was it, it, like, did you guys ever play Dungeons and Dragons? Probably not. I didn't, but I, also it didn't exist in Tokyo at the time. I'm just based on your outfits. I'm assuming you probably <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. I've heard of it. I've seen commercials. We're a different kind of nerd. I've seen them. I know what the dungeons. Well, it's an interesting role, right? So the, the dungeon master is the is the storyteller. Yes, but the but the players are the heroes, right? But it's your story. Oh, yeah, see, that, that's, that's the master. You call it a master. There already is. Like, that's, even though you're, they're the heroes of the story, for the whole experience, <laughs> you're, the, you're the hero. You're the master. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it. Who was a good storyteller? Sarah, who was a good storyteller in your, in your history? Oh, that's funny. Um, I didn't have that many stories. My mom would tell me stories, but they're usually, like, about when she was growing up and how, like, society worked. So how I so I would pick up on how to behave myself mm. or present myself. Um, my dad tells a lot of stories. Some of them are not so accurate. <laughs> um, so I, I think, caught a fish this big. <laughs> well, not that far. So um, he the, yeah he tells a lot of stories, but um, I mean so I, when you're a kid like I I know all of the stories like I've listened to him tell the same story for like millions of times over so like when he starts one i'm just like okay i know this one but i check out mentally kind of thing so like i guess he would be the one that i listened to. he he tells good story he tells them really well and it's very, he's very entertaining in person so like you get very captivated but if if it's the first time you're hearing it if not then i'm just there like yep know that one <laughs> do you feel that those stories have influenced the way you tell your stories now Maybe that's why I'm so such a strictler about certain things to be just accurate. Yes. Um, no, I, I don't think so. I think the storytelling just comes from. I used to read a lot of books. I was a nerd. I didn't, you know, I wasn't that social. So like, I read a lot of novels, like you know, kids' novels, whatever I could read, and those were stories that I could escape to. So like, for me, stories are things that you're running into and you, you know, like lose yourself in it. Yeah. So. I guess that's where I would get it from, not really my parents, or not in the household, I guess. I feel like growing up that my mom was a storyteller in my house, and it's a lot of like, for me, my mom right now, she's retired and she's more of a social activist now, particularly housing rights, so a lot of it is fighting adversary, fighting adversarial battles and, and like trying to not let anyone take advantage of you. And so the stories that she would tell are constantly fighting with housing authorities, <laughs> actually, and like winning cases and, and going to court and don't let anyone put you down and this and that and the other thing. And I, and I feel like I carry that still with me. You know? Well, those are personal battles, right? Like, and it's done because she hears everybody's personal stories of how horrible situations are. Mm -hmm. So then it's fired. Yeah. It's nice. I remember you talked about your mom's activism in the first episode. Was it the first one? One of the very first ones. I feel like ones. we did uh, the second one maybe about activism. About Probably that art one. And yeah, activism. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's I, one of the early ones. I feel like I, I, and then for myself, as I became a teenager, it became more more fantasy-driven stories, like just putting myself as the hero in, into these stories. And that's what I feel like I still do now. I'm sorry, did you put your cape on your cape? <laughs> Her dad does the same thing. Like, he, he will tell the same stories over and over again. And it all, kind of like all the designers that I've met, like, don't do that. <laughs> like, for, I think for people who make a lot of media, or they they 
make their stories and then their stories are kind of out there to tell themselves. We don't, we don't like tell stories at the dinner table the same way. Like, mm. it doesn't serve the same purpose for us. But like for people who aren't making stuff that can be seen over and over again, the way that story stays alive is by them telling it over and over again to their family, That's to friends. True. So that you as a close relationship, sometimes you bear the brunt of like hearing it a million times. I mean, sometimes I will just be like, did I tell you this already? Because I don't know who I told my stories to anymore. But like there's, there's that, but there's also like just mindlessness repeating yourself at every, every gathering. It's like, yeah, you're right. Maybe it's the way they remember. I mean, you know, like after a certain generation, they hold on to their past a lot more and their like past stories too. So like, you know, it's like the glory days. Yeah, and it becomes more right. important to get your stories out because that's the part of you that's going to stay yeah, around. That's true. And for us, because I think we deal more broadly in different types of media, we have the opportunity to tell different stories. Yeah, you and can also like, tell the same thing in very different ways. And you can like, tell this, yeah. Not in the same repetitive way, I guess. I also tell a lot of brand stories too. Oh yeah, we do that. <laughs> we, just wait, Always we're getting into that. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna definitely do I that. Mean, but, but you're right. That's a good, that's a good thing to bring up. Like we tell, we tell these stories, but I think because we're also visual artists, it's the same story just told in a different way. But also, you, you do it once. You design it, you set it out into the world. It tells itself after that. Like you don't have to keep going and be like, you do have to promote yourself constantly. It never ends. That's it your... never ends. Like, oh yeah, I put my portfolio together. It should speak for itself. No, it doesn't. You have to still take that portfolio and tell it over again from whoever is listening to his perspective so that it matters. But the core of the story is the same there. But you still have to constantly just repeat. Well, this is my healthcare story. This is how I approach these. And <laughs> this is what I've done. For oh, which, which which industry are you from? Okay, let's let's cater this to that let's, conversation. Let's shuffle like, the cards. What, what oh, am here I, we what go. Am I making are... this pitch for? Okay, then. You want to know about my healthcare story versus the other ones like, oh, I want to hear about the branding story. Oh, you mean, well, most of it is in healthcare. Like, you know, it's like, it's the same thing where you always have to change it. But when you take a book and look at it or whatever is on the portfolio, that's the same. I always find that the hardest story to tell, your story. Oh, God, I yeah. hate it so much. For some reason, like, we were trained to tell other people's stories really well. And then when it comes time to tell your own story, it's all of a sudden... I'm paralyzed. All the tools that you have, like, oh, no. Like, you know, you put your story together, you don't like the way it looks. Because you're so much more than that, Of right? course. Like, and yeah, that's why I'm struggling. Like, this whole summer, I've been working on these case studies to just, like, kind of... Case study is the hardest thing to put together. It's it's not even just a case study of one project. It's like you can go on my website and see my work and then, okay, that's it. That's, these are things she's created. It doesn't tell you like the entire project or how I operated within an, like, you know, within an industry, within a construct, whatever, any of those things. I have to tell those stories using those images. I don't want to do it. Can, <laughs> can you just look at the images and trust that I know what I'm doing? Like it's I'm dragging my feet because it's my story, and I don't like. It's like oh my god, I already do that for other people. I don't have to do it for myself. I think for you both, you can tell stories in very different areas of expertise. I think I I kind of get. I'm not gonna say a little bit of a pass because my story has always been very specific within fashion, and is always. Yeah. There and there, there could be all these different types of stories within it, but like, it's always within the same industry. That is true. No, that's not true. You made films. Yeah, you I know. Mean, I've, not, I've I made mean, them. Yes, but and still. the ones that I make now are brand are brand decks. True. For the same company, <laughs> so it's the same story, except different car and different and different <laughs> and, and different plaid shirt. <laughs> sometimes different models. Sometimes. And sometimes different models, yeah. Yeah. Sarah, you and Jonathan are grad school buddies. What clicked? In such a competitive environment, how did you guys know that you would connect? Um, it's the core of this podcast also. <laughs> the drinking. The drinking. Yeah, that's the story I want to hear. What was it? We were the young ones. Yes. <laughs> we were the two youngest And I'm kids. like, I'm so glad. I almost went the year before and the finance didn't come together. So I had to, you know, like apply the following year. If I got in the year before, they were all married couples. I would have struggled even more. Like, you would at have least struggled. I would have been very unhappy in that year. Like, I, it was already a tough thing to be, but at least like we were all young, single people, like just 
Jonathan and I clicked, but also like we all wanted to go out. There's a bunch of us that could go out together. There's only one married couple, right? Like Yuming is the only one married. Mm-hmm. So then it's at least was better. But yeah, we, well, I wasn't technically the youngest. Young Jonathan was the baby because he came straight from college. <laughs> I don't think I was the youngest. Jinmi's younger than me. Yeah. But, but like we, we I'm felt the, young the youngest. At heart. <laughs> the yeah. youngest at heart. <laughs> out the latest. Yeah, Sarah was yeah. fun. She wanted to go out. Like she like put some effort into being social. She invited me over. You know, slept on your couch a lot. Yes, yeah. the first time was we all went out. Parker arranged a, a wine night. I think his girlfriend was in town or something, and like they're all like sipping wine, which you know I I drink anything, but like you know. There's, it was a lovely evening, but Jonathan and I were doing tequila shots. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> but he did more than I did. Me, having recently, if, if anybody knows, my license is a joke in this entire school already. Um, I had to drive him to my place because I, he shouldn't be driving. That's uh, the first time he stayed over. The irony I is I should that. not have been driving either. That's the thing. Like I shouldn't have been driving either. Oh, yeah, the fact that I drove someone home is already... Yeah, I was on a temporary license. I hadn't gotten it yet. And Sarah had the hugest cars. This like Mercury yes. like, town oh, yeah. cruiser. Yes. It was like 40 feet long. Mid-sized middle management family car. It was like... It, it barely fit on the road. Four people on the back seat. Every time we went out, we took my car because it fit the most people. Four people fit in the back seat? Wow, that was amazing. Yeah, it was real big. That was amazing. Yeah. But we were all, I mean, all of us had moved. Because we went to Art Center and we were in this program called the Media Design Program. And I think all of us had moved people. to Los Angeles. Yeah. I think the closest one was Justin, but that was still like Northern like California. San Luis Obispo, yeah. yeah. So we were all, you know. We were all there. from out of town. We didn't like, have networks or anything. Yeah, we all were there just for the school. And it's also, it's not like you. You can go make friends elsewhere. You don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> like day one till last day of the semester, you're there. Yeah. Like it was an intense program. We we yeah. were there was an all nighter at least an all, one all nighter every week. Wow. Starting the first week, like. Now, how did you guys? Because it it sounds like it it was a very competitive environment. How did you get along? Like, was there were there projects that you that that were joint projects together that you did with other teams in your Sometimes, yeah. I never felt like we were competing. Like, we weren't going after the same lanes. Yeah, the competition wasn't between us. Like, I could, I think the competition was mostly like, like, I could feel it. Like, we are all supposed to present something, right? Like, at the end, like, put it on your website, like, whatever. There's a group project. Someone designed the PDFs, and you're like, can you pass me the PDF? He's like, no. I'm sorry. Like, you're responsible for it. It's a group project, but I designed the PDF. who cares? I'm not saying that I designed it. I'm just presenting it as part of my group project. Like it was that kind of like a little cutthroat thing. Um, like I'm not giving you my work. Um, I don't know. Like for, I think for us, it was just, there's also the difference that like you were with the boys, you had your like little boys crew It was a different vibe between them. Um, I don't know. Like the competition was, I think it's mostly like, personalities clashing our personalities didn't clash i mean you maintained the, pr- the friendship up until this point yeah what, what was it like for you jonathan what was it like for me like we had that one project I, I, together the the drunk stool because of course finding <laughs> conversation <laughs> oh yeah that one was great that one was fun we're learning how to use microcontrollers <laughs> When, well, you have to explain that yes. to me because I'm so, not sure. <laughs> so we, we so there was a stool and we uh, tied a rope to one of the legs and then we wrapped it all the way around and then we um, put that on a it was like a big washer ball bearings. Oh. Okay. Um, and so but and then a that was thing, attached digital to digital thing in the middle. Yeah. So that had a a, a microcontroller attached to a, a sensor. So it sensed how many rotations the stool did. Okay. And so it was. Someone would sit on the stool and someone would pull the rope really fast and you were trying to get the most rotations. Yeah, Yeah, and it made you really dizzy. 
and simulate we're trying to simulate drunk. what it was like to be drunk, and then we had a visualization <laughs> of what it must look like to be that drunk, and we... Macaulay's graphics with, like, yeah, school. Yeah, we found so. some maybe of questionable, like, authority, like, chart for, like, <laughs> how dizzy you look. Um, this is a case study that you need to... I want to see this case study. I don't even... I don't even know if I have pictures of this one, but, yeah. So, like, I mean, what that was those? a fun project, right? Like... That was fun. It that sounded like, fun. Did anyone get hurt? No, no one got hurt. No, okay, good. No. Good. No, I always, like, had fun. No one even got drunk on it. Oh, well, that's <laughs> annoying. <laughs> Actually, we probably did afterwards. Yeah. So I don't know. I showed up at, at the media design program. I was just like, I must succeed. I must succeed. I, I, I like, but I was the youngest one too. So it was like easier. I, ha I had nothing to prove because I was the youngest one hmm. in the group. So like I couldn't go. I was already at the bottom of the totem pole. So I couldn't <laughs> fall any farther. So there's like a relief in that where like you can kind of only like in your like professor's eyes only yeah. like rise i think did you feel that your 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 ideas for your projects were broader because there was no real reference point for you that hasn't developed yet how was that for you compared to the ones that were that you perceived above you i don't know that's an interesting question i i mean maybe being the youngest i also had the least amount of specialization going into that program like some people who were older had already been done some work in their field or they were yes. a little bit more film focused or yes. a little bit more programming focused or something. And I was coming, I would say graphic design, like, but I had like a studio art degree, right? So I took sculpture and painting and drawing classes and stuff like that. So I, I was like a, still kind of a blank slate. I think. Well, that must have helped kind of like to have these different disciplines kind of aid you in developing your perspective now. Yeah, Justin and Manuel, <laughs> like two older guys. Yeah, they were like my big brothers of the program. They'd like take me out for a barbecue. And... That's wonderful. Yeah, I feel like the, that whole experience, like I, I think I'm just not a competitive person. I've come to accept this in life. Like You? Playing games. No, there's, listen, I didn't finish. <laughs> it's not competition. There are certain things that I know I'm really good at, and I'm just like, I'm good at it. I don't care where you're at it. I'm not trying, like, it's not about that I'm better than you. I already know how good I am. I don't need to compete with you. Like, there's like, if there's a game played, I'm just having fun playing the game. Like, mm. I have friends that are like, really, like, I, I, I have to win, I have to win. And I'm like, man, so I'm having a great time playing. And it's, like, more interesting to just, like, drive them crazy. Because, like, if you get to do something and they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Like, I'm just having a great time. I, my competition thing isn't about, like, oh, I'm going to win everything and I'm going to be better than you. It's more like, yeah, I, I, I'm good. I already know. I don't need anything else. It's more of an attitude than competition. Okay. <laughs> But I also didn't feel any of that. Like I like my first job was so nice. They taught me everything. There was no like, you know, I'll get buried or like you'll you'll take my job attitude. So like when I got to Art Center, everyone being a little bit more like, I'm the best. I'm the best. And I was like, What? Like I don't understand this. Like that was hard for me. I didn't wow. understand like why it was such a big deal. Like you do this one, I'll do the next one better. Like what's the big deal? <laughs> so yeah, it was it was strange because they had Portfolio Day at the end of every semester at Art Center, oh God, and it was a really big deal because every student would set up. They had a space and they put their work up and they put their best foot forward, and then all these executives from all these creative companies would come in and walk around and just sort of like, hmm, I'll take you and I'll hire you. <laughs> Wow, you, it was really like that. You. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, like and so wow. and and uh, you know, it's a very sort of uneven distribution of attention where there are a few kids who really stand out and they get all the attention. Mm. And then there's most kids like get a few nibbles, you know, and it's really like brutal, <laughs> but like you know, real. Yes. And so and when you first get there, like you're not doing portfolio days, especially like us in the grad program. Oh, so right. like, yeah. but but that that um, that value system of like, this is what it's really like out there. We're gonna simulate that in the actual school building. Oh. Really like permeated the the school. That is and so rough. you're like you're like, oh, there's gonna come a time where I'm gonna be up against everybody else in the school, and I I need the hottest shit. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
No, they do. Like, I, I always said this. Like, before, I, I'm a completely different person than when I started the program. Like, I went in and they did something to me. They broke me down into crumbs and then <laughs> pasted it back together. And it's a better version of me. I wouldn't change it. But I really am a completely different person. Like, as a person, as a designer, as how I work, how I operate in the business place, like, all of it is different. I mean... I didn't, I mean, I was also, I was, maybe I was a few years older than you, but I was still pretty young, like I was 26, so like, it's not like I knew that much, you know? Yeah, but you had a self-assurance, and like, you didn't care as much about, like, pleasing everybody That's that true. I admired, and I think, like... Oh, I appreciate I like, that. I was like, oh, yeah, I would like to have some of that. I know. I was trying to please everybody all the time. Can't please yeah. them all. No, but also, yeah, the school is, like, the hardest thing I've ever done. I wouldn't change a thing, but yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of hard things I've done. But that one is... I heard somebody say, the the best time you never want to have again. <laughs> That's a good point. I'm also <laughs> like so glad I did that when I was 26 and, like, not now. Can you imagine that, like, going through that now? I couldn't even imagine going through a, a program like that now. No, like, you can go to business school now and you get an MBA, you would do great. But, like, if you go to Art Center, I also, like... My, uh, like my friends were going doing MBAs and they're like, yeah, we're partying every night. And then when we come out, we make five times as much money as you do. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't sleep. I work till four in the morning. I go home, sleep for four hours and come back to the studio. Like, it was physical labor. You can't like, I don't think I can do this at this age now. Like the lack of sleep was brutal. Like, I don't do yeah. well if I don't sleep one night now, let alone imagine like two, That's me six now. semesters yes. back to back. That's when I started drinking coffee. That's the first time you started drinking coffee? Yeah. At school? That's actually At like, grad school, yeah. Grad school. That's when I switched to tea because Jimmy had so much Asian teas and they were nice and we were drinking so much that eventually you have to like, you can't drink, keep drinking coffee. I needed other liquids to keep me going. Ah, school days. When we get back, we'll continue our conversation. This is Gatsby Fridays. So Jonathan, last April, I got to see your work as a filmmaker with the film uh, Changing World Order. And you're right, you created something at best, uh, I think about, I don't think about is economics compelling, which was amazing. And I wondered like, what was the thought process that you had for creating that? And why was that story the story that you wanted to tell? You mean you don't find economic history like a riveting subject <laughs> you know it's, it's it's like watching a, a you know a kung fu film from the <laughs> no for me it was a little bit more like oh god the doom story the world's coming to an end i don't know what to do now i have to go by yen <laughs> well you know just you know these are cycles but they're not always bad cycles you know they, they just are that's what i say <laughs> i know just, i mean i got these patterns just exist just kind of they're like not good a, or bad um, but I, I had, so I made that film with Ray Dalio and it was based off the book he was writing at the time. And we had done two pieces together previously. And, uh, so this one was about the, the changing world order and basically what's the pattern to one country becoming the strongest in the world. And then what's the pattern to it declining while another country becomes the strongest in the world. And then what's that exchange like in particular? And the, the implication is like, we may be heading towards one of those exchanges in Indeed. our lifetime. Which is a doom um, part. You know, but just because it hasn't happened while we've been alive doesn't mean it hasn't happened before. And so if you look back in time, you can learn about it and maybe handle it better. Um, so to me, that was just like a really compelling story. Like that's, that's the stuff that I like to, to learn, so the, the name of my company, Universal Patterns, is like, you know, trying to find these things in life so you can kind of, you know, you learn your patterns, you learn the world's patterns, and it helps you navigate through it. So um, this kind of information and animation thing goes back all the way to grad school for you, though. That was your grad school thesis, the master's thesis? Yeah, we were graduating in the midst of the 2008 financial crisis, hmm. <laughs> and... I was, Great job market. Yeah, well, I mean, it, that was that was the story. No one was hiring. Everyone was doing layoffs, and and we had just borrowed hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> to go to this very like prestigious grad school, and like you know walk off a plank or something afterwards. 
So it was, it was that was just all that was on the news. And so I heard the, the term subprime mortgage for like the 1,000th time, and I didn't know what it meant. So I decided to actually look it up. And then to learn what a subprime mortgage is, you need to learn what a prime mortgage is and the prime rate, and then, you know, rabbit hole. Oof. Before rabbit holing became like a popular term, yeah. <laughs> like really rabbit hole on rabbit that. Hole, yeah. And and you know my brother's in finance, like my best friends are in finance. Like I've I've been always interested and surrounded in it, and so I just started drawing these diagrams to understand it myself because everyone was talking about it. I'd show them these pictures, and then I wanted to learn animation, so I animated it. And this was like uh, how I procrastinated from doing my. Like thesis project, <laughs> like this to which do became this. the thesis. Itself. But this this wound up becoming the thesis project, and I posted online, and this was like kind of really like pre YouTube, early YouTube. Mm. Um, but it went viral. It was like the first like viral explainer film on the internet because uh, it just did a good job, I think, of like explaining something that everyone was experiencing what was in a simpler way. Like though, so like you just started sketching. Is it so illustrations first? Yeah, like diagrams first with little labels and little stick figure characters and like follow the money, you know, like very like, be you know, beautiful mind, conspiracy chart-esque <laughs> stuff. Did you have the strings going through. But in a little like um, Moleskine, Moleskine, uh, yeah. you know, notebook with like very fine tip pens. <laughs> oh yeah, we used to. Uh, yeah, so, so that, that was like, it, I mean, it, it was, it was really cool because someone at Google saw it and they were starting their first creative team and that's how I like got my foot in the door and started my career. So that's been, that has been like something, I, I like to do this kind of work where it's taking something that is really complicated and really intangible and visualizing it. You can't point a camera at an economic cycle, you know, like you can't, like you, you can, you can tell a, you can do a fairy tale, you, you know, you can yeah. tell all these stories with actors and cameras and stuff, but not economic history is different, right? That's a subject where you have to understand it. And then you got to create some original diagrams or images yes. to tell that story. And for me, I love doing that because it's, I get to satisfy my curiosity. I love to learn. I feel comfortable and like safe when I'm learning stuff, you know? And so like, I like to do that. And then because I'm a designer, I can kind of give that form and turn around and then like explain it easier to somebody else. So it's like, I, I'm like ingesting the information and making it more digestible for other people. And that feels good. We appreciate that. <laughs> oh no, it was very well appreciated appreciate when that. I learned about the cycles and that we're in a down cycle now. <laughs> but now, in terms it of- was very, It was very interesting to learn. Like that's why it's so powerful because there's no way otherwise I'm going to read that book to really follow through. Like, like it's too long for me to read economic theory. Like, it's not my interest. I want to still understand it, though. And I'm smart enough to catch yeah. up from a summary of it. For somebody else, the, the nitty gritty and the extra details might be useful. Your work makes it okay. I'm smart. I understand it now. I know what it is. And that's the only reason I know, because I would have never read the book. <laughs> it's definitely not a subject. <laughs> that is usually put into a form like that. Um, you know, you can imagine like an economics textbook is not like what you're going to read on the beach in your free time or something. <laughs> some e I mean, yeah. economists, I'm sure. Would. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure there are some, some people. But the, uh, the, the animation style that you chose was very distinctive. How long was the process to, to uh, how long did you have to work with animators to create the aesthetic that you wanted? Uh, for a little while. I mean, I start with stick figures. <laughs> I'm an adult man. There were more than I'm an adult man figures. who draws stick figures. I'm an adult man who draws stick figures professionally. Um, but that, I mean, that, that's how I work it out because I just need to see it, and I got to move them around and try it a bunch of different times to figure out what the flow is, what actually makes sense. And then I like I upres that a little bit, but it's still pretty rough. Yeah. And then I work with uh, designers and animators to develop that so we'll like to, you know we'll develop like three different directions you know mm -hmm. i'll assemble some reference and you know we'll kind of build out three different directions and revise those and you know go down one eventually and then same with kind of the animation style too was there an idea in economics that you thought couldn't be visually represented and had to be nixed from the project oh yeah there's a lot that doesn't make it in for sure. Yes. Yeah, I remember I was just looking for some reason. I came across some of my old notebooks and when I was doing the, the grad school project called the Crisis of Credit. 
and I had this one diagram that showed basically like you know there you had mortgages, mm-hmm. which was kind of the real, the real financial instrument, the real asset, you know, the thing that really Broke makes it. sense in society. Well, you know, but like people need houses and it makes sense to borrow money for that. That's like, that makes sense. But then whoever like makes a bunch of those loans then like sells them to somebody else. And so you wound up building this huge tower on top of one asset, you know, and I, I drew it like very, you know, rickety and, you know, kind of like a Jenga game almost. And then as soon as like that base thing starts to rumble, you see it like reverberate around the whole thing. And like, I thought that was actually going to be the key diagram in the whole piece. And then it never even made it in. (laughs) So Alex, we all tell our stories in different ways here um, between you, me and Jonathan. Fashion is storytelling with fabrics and image and... Models and cars, apparently. Models and cars. Um, who are some of the designers that inspire you, like from a storytelling perspective, and why? When I think of storytelling, I, I don't necessarily go to clothing. I think now, if I were to buy something, it's more of the impact that it's really going to start having. I mean, and this is going to sound real tree huggery, but it's what the impact it's going to really have on the environment. And not just the physical environment, the environment, my environment in general, and how I spend my money. And that's really the point, I think, when people think about fashion and telling stories. Like, I buy into stories that feel good socially now, as opposed to buying stories that are aspirational. But you always had that. You wouldn't wear Nikes because they were made in sweatshops and all of that stuff. Like, I remember the first time I heard that was from you because I did not grow up with that kind of idealism. I was like, really? You won't buy them because of for that? A lo- like- yes, for a long time. And I feel like, you know, sneaker companies or whatever companies, it's, it's really about, like, backing the social structure of what you're perpetuating. So, as an example, I mean, I don't want to... I love Travis Scott and I love his music, but after the fiasco at Astroworld... Uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago, I thought, I don't need to buy this guy's products anymore. Like, I don't need to subscribe to that hype anymore because now I don't believe his story. And therefore, I don't need to contribute to his bottom line. And that's something that, that's a newfound thing about how I want to perceive storytelling and how I consume fashion. That's that. a little different though, because you're talking about commerce almost, like, you know, purchasing and like, you know, spending your money. but. The story that he was telling the must story, have been com- compelling at the time. Was, so, like, what he, was like, you know, that's like, so you no longer buy into it. What is the thing that inspires you? Know? What are the so artists? So he's, that you know, he's a he's a, a an artist. Just using him as an example, that's really forward in his fashion, in his ideology, in his music, and I really like his his attitude. And I thought, man, this is such a cool guy. Of course, I want to buy sneakers so I can have some semblance of of the cool that he. Exactly. Markets to people, you know, and then after a while, you think to yourself, "Oh, wait a minute! This is—he's not doing what I thought a person like him would do socially." I mean, on, uh, maybe behind, perhaps behind the scenes he is, but I—I don't—I don't know. Once again, I'm just using him as as an example. I'm not throwing. So, what him are some stories that you get inspired by, though? You know, I, I feel like fashion, fashion, especially the stories within the industry, is is a lot about aspiration. Like all the other, like every other consumer product that we Balenciaga trash bags or aspirations. It, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> it circumvents the narrative, and that's, that's, that's what's what, great about, and that's what's but great about. It's not an aspiration. Well, those trash bags are like two thousand dollars. <laughs> Somebody is going to aspire to these leather trash bags that There's you can a carry buyer around. For every seller, huh? there, there, there is a buyer for every sucker. Yes, I imagine. But, you know, I, I, I like, but I still like fashion because I feel like I can tell a more authentic story. And when I say when I say that, I feel like for myself, I can tell a more authentic story. So I look back into the stories that I've grown up with and I reinterpret those things to be representative of the fashion that I want in the world now. And I think that's what I look for. I look for these authentic stories that can be representatives of what I want the world to be the current time. That's nice. Yeah, what's something like that that you saw recently? Uh, you know, I, I, before the pandemic, wanted to start a line myself, 
And a lot of it had to do with how I grew up in Brooklyn uh, in the early 80s. And I, I mean, I, I probably must have spoken about this before in the podcast, but there was this whole contingency, especially because I grew up in a very rough part of Brooklyn. Which part? I, I grew up in Sunset Park in the 80s. And during that time, there was a local bike shop that had BMX bikes there, and they would hold, um, like, uh, not flea markets, but, like, street shows and stuff. And so they would actually hire BMX racers from California, and it was the first time I saw, like, white dudes with bleach blonde hair and day glow colors and coming into my neighborhood, my neighborhood that was mostly black and Latino, doing tricks on half pikes, doing tricks on ramps and doing this and wearing vans, and I was like, what is this? This is amazing. And I've carried that throughout my life. And Sarah, well, well, she knows about this because she helped me put uh, my first shoot together. I've always wanted to tell that story that was the culmination between that East Coast energy that I have with this West Coast ideology that I saw coming in being the influence. And that, to me, was a story that I always wanted to tell, and no one was doing it. And there weren't any brands that were doing that. And I thought, I should be the one to do that. And I did. So when I look at that, I mean, don't get me wrong. And there's still aspirational stories like, like Ralph Lauren and that type of fashion that is so beautiful and aspirational to a degree from a history that never existed that I could buy into, which is, which is good for me to think about because that's what I, I also enjoy that. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture of America. Yes. You created Ameri- that it doesn't exist. Yeah, an America that doesn't exist. But, but still, it's lovely to look at. But they also, they just did that um, HBCU uh, series. They did. They did. And that's, I mean, that's now the beauty. Now it's interesting, like, the, all, all of those uniforms that, like, now in their Ralph Lauren presentation, spotless, like, perfectly chiseled people. Of course, yeah. It like has to be. Dark woods, <laughs> like, you know, like, exeters, backhauls kind of feel. It's, like. it's his aesthetic and, and, and done for the HBCU, for, for uh, Morehouse, I think. But it took, like, till 2022 to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, that's still an aspirational story. In it's a still way, an aspirational like, story. It, it's still... I'm glad it was it's told. Like, it's all these things that, like, when you when he makes them, like, oh, I've seen this before. Like, it, it feels familiar, but I haven't seen it actually ever. I mean, he has the ability to, to you know, make a denim peacoat. And you think to yourself, peacoats on the outset, when they were done, they were done for utilitarian reasons for the Navy. And denim would have been impractical because it soaks in water. Wool doesn't soak water. But a denim peacoat looks cool. <laughs> so yeah, I want to buy into that. And I have. Aesthetic world without any characters. Yes. Except him. <laughs> except except the characters he creates. But also like when Would you look you? at those models, like you know that it's the right it's so perfect. Like, yeah, she was there. Like she was in that. Right, model. I guess there's like, there's so many characters, but you never go deep on oh, yeah. on any one, right? Every yeah. season there's new characters. But you know they you're live somewhere in out in America. Yeah. They exist. Whatever the alternate reality that he's created, like one of the biggest things that I've I've felt that he is pushing is the Southeast Asian look within Americana. And I think that's beautiful because it looks fresh and it looks new but at the same time if you look back at the history there were no southeast asians during that time in america in, in america's upbringing during what time it's a timeless era <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's like it doesn't exist in time it doesn't either. exist and that's the beauty of it and that's the beauty of his storytelling <laughs> that's yeah that's why it's like but it still it feels right when you see it somehow it does it how does. would you describe that aesthetic what what is the southeast asian aesthetic well, he does, he, does, he does this thing where he steeps everything in Americana. So he'll put an, a Southeast Asian model in a tweed jacket with an ascot on and tweed jopper's pants and high boots. And he'll shoot them in, he'll shoot them in Montana a, a, against a rocky background. And you're like, this looks all stunning. He, the model is wearing an outfit that I think is amazing. And, and it seems like all these worlds converge together to form this, this identity that never existed. But it's still beautiful to look at. Right. And that's the story. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, I, and, and 
I try hard not to be seduced by it. <laughs> I try hard, unless it's on sale. Um, <laughs> because I feel like I want more authentic stories, especially within, especially within fashion. It's giving me anxiety just talking about that. <laughs> like this makes me so like, okay, there's more things I need to understand. Make more movies. Well, it's a, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting from a storytelling perspective too, because like it's it's nice to work with like good source material, like Ray Dalio's stuff. Like you know, he has an amazing research team, and he's really like rigorous and going down uh, a subject and making sure it's understand. Uh, he understands it really thoroughly. So there's like, there's a lot to work with. You're either working with, it's not that different, like a lot of films are adaptations of stories, right? Yeah. Just take a, a short story or a Vanity Fair article or something becomes like a TV sh show or a, or a film or something like that. So even when, you know, I mean, it's kind of a weird genre, this stuff, because it's, it's like documentary, but it's animated. So it's kind of like an explainer, but it, I don't know, there's not a lot. I never know how to classify there it. There are no emotions. Yeah, you know, and like, there are, you know, I always have a protagonist because that helps you follow through, but the protagonist is usually just a stand-in for the viewer in yes. this world of like, yeah, all these sense. complex, intangible things. But it helps to have a strong narrative, and that's what I think you got from the book in order for you, for, for that to, to kind of gel with your idea to move it forward. Um, was there... Are there any other stories similar to this genre that you'd want to tell? Like, what do you... Oh, yeah. I mean, the dream is to, like, take this approach to storytelling and, and do physics, do math, do social dynamics, right? Uh, one, of, one of my pandemic projects was helping start this nonprofit called the Mental Design Institute, and we're trying to do this uh, explaining how emotions work. Hmm. Um, so I'm working with uh, some folks who do... Uh, a lot of hands-on work with youth who have like some intense mental health situations going on. And um, this guy, Alex Milner, he's at the Harvard Knock Lab and, uh, and he works at the uh, Franciscan Hospital too. And he's like, inevitably, it always comes down to explaining how emotions work. And believe it or not, there's no widespread agreement on how emotions work amongst scientists and academics. And that kind of blew my mind. I'm like, what do you mean? Everyone has emotions, every single person in the world, and we don't know how they work? He's like, no, we don't really know how they work. <laughs> but I found a way to explain it to people that works, that clicks. Um, and so he told me about it. I thought it was like really compelling. It's super simple. Stuff I wish I would have learned you know, when I was a kid. Uh, so I've been working with him. We're developing a visual framework for it and uh, you know, trying to create content that, that helps make mental health universally understood uh or you know imagine like you could you could go there and you type in any emotion and you have this like beautiful visual explanation of like what it is why we have it like how it's commonly out of balance like ways you can like under like notice when you're feeling it so that if you want to maybe feel react to it differently when you feel that way it's something you can consciously work on and it, it takes a long time to like change how you feel your emotions but like you can like over time, if like you have the the effort and support to do it, like change the way that you react to them. So yeah, I think there's lots of like outputs for stuff like this. I feel like your work, you because your background really involved revolves around technology and information gathering and putting these two th things together and making them visual, kind of, and and all this together helps us to understand the world better and drive storytelling for you as a filmmaker, do you find that there is a correlation between the technology and the narrative that you're telling? Yeah, and oftentimes it's a really frustrating one. Mm -hmm. I actually find the, the process of making these pieces really difficult. Um, you know, I, I mean, in large part because of the, the software and the tools that we're using. Uh, like, you know, because kind of the other half of my career has been designing products and software. And, you know, like, I, I don't know. I would made one of these animated explainers nine years ago and then had been doing a lot of other, other stuff and then kind of came back to it uh, with this Changing World Order piece. And 
like almost nothing had changed in nine years. <laughs> in like, animation, really? I mean, it's like using After Effects in the same way, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator, like the same software stack. It's good software, but like, you know, I just, I don't know, I, I kind of expected there would be something that would, you know, we use Google Docs a little bit more. But I, you know, it, it's, it's frustrating because like a lot of times you don't know what, what the piece is going to feel like until it's actually animated and you have, you've laid in some music and some narration and stuff. But oftentimes by the time you get there, you realize it's not, it's not working. <laughs> so you got to throw all that work out. Yeah. And that, you know, that could be like dozens and dozens of hours of like an animator's time sometimes, you know, like, and that's really expensive. So, uh, and, and this is the thing with video, like, I don't know, say, say you want to make a video that's like, you're, you're like pitching your product, you're, you're announcing your product. This is what it is. This is how it works. And then as soon as you launch it, you change a feature because your customers don't like it. And like, and then you go like, oh, can you change the video? It's like, well, you, all the guys who made that file have moved on. Yeah. So you, maybe you can find another animator to go in, open up someone else's file. They don't really know like, how to work. Like, oh, man. You know, because video, they, got it, they get rendered out. It takes like hours sometimes to render out the high res. You know, like it's not built to be changed at all. Yeah. Like a, you make a website though, it's like you know you're going to change that website like a million times. Yeah. So I, like I kind of wish that we could build video in a way that was a little bit more updatable, adaptable. And then I think you could start to see it used in like a lot more of these evergreen ways. I want you to tell that story. I feel like we've told, you've described the story of economics, you've described the story of emotion, and these are concepts that are not necessarily always presented in a compelling visual way. And here we're talking about the frustration with technology. And oftentimes I feel like Technology itself has not been, even though we all use it, it's all a part of our lives, there hasn't been a compelling story that describes technology in a way that we can digest it. Yeah, technology is a, I also think like the word technology is funny too, because it's like that, whatever that is, is always changing, right? Because exactly. it means it's kind of like, it's what the newest tools is like technology, I guess, right? Like the newest tools that we're playing with. And so like that always stops somewhere, you know, like. Is, or TV te te is TV technology anymore? <laughs> like, or technology is a concept, and how we move forward in the world is technology. We, yeah. we get advancements in medicine, we get advancements in, in, in longevity, we get advancements in, in thinking that helps us think further, helps us design stronger, helps us do that. And I often wonder, like, those stories are not being told. The story of technology itself and how it moves humanity forward. Cars? They didn't say, let's make, you know, how do we make the courses go faster? They ditched it and they made cars. Like, it's kind of, you know what I mean? Like, that's part of the how technology evolves. So, like, the stories are being told. What you're frustrated about is the digital stuff that we deal with. And you don't want to deal with it, so you want an explainer for it. I want an explainer for that. But cars, that's a good, that's a good thing because like, cars as a technology has moved us physically forward but has caused a lot of damage. And there's an, but there is an emotion to cars as a technology and as a thing that moves humanity forward. It moved us forward because it made us get places. Exactly. Yes, there was repercussions for that, but in terms of moving it forward, yeah, now we can go places that we didn't get to go before, before there was engines and all of that. I'm not saying that it has no like longer term impact. I'm saying like, you know, it did move. It was a technology that used to be a horse. Now it's a car. Like it doesn't involve the the live animal anymore. Do you think you're gonna, um, so like the, the story around tech would be, I mean, I think the, the conversation we're trying to get to is that um, the stories around tech futures is always doomed. Yeah, well, what was I it that it. Peter Lunenfeld, our professor that's, used that's, to say? That's what I wrote in there too. Okay. I, um, <laughs> we, had a, we had a class specifically for that about uh, how all the features are told with like cities on fire with smoke Very coming dystopic. out and destruction. Yeah, well, yes. I literally saw like this film this weekend, Moonfall, and like they showed LA with multiple black smokes coming across <laughs> the land. I'm like, well, yeah, how many millions of times have we seen that? Which is ironic why this came up today. But um, the, the class was called We Spoke Futures. It was the emphasis of that to come up with, to imagine futures with technology that are actually positive. I have yet to see that. 
Now you're being a curmudgeon. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm being serious. Look, I have, like, technology I, evolved. So, like, I live halfway around the world from my family. Mm-hmm. The day, when I first got here, it was $5 to connect the call and it was two forty-five per minute when I called home. It's free now. I can see my mom's face for free every day. Like, I, I'm fully, fully on board that technology is a good thing. Like, it's, you can't tell me that there's anything bad about it. It improves life. It has, like, everything has a good and bad. You can't just have this, like, perfect thing that only gave you everything without any repercussions. That's life. Like, technology isn't bad. It's not inherently bad or good. I just haven't seen... I just told you. (laughs) This is Cinematically. But I haven't seen this represented cinematically. Okay. Yes, but I would argue that you, you see it, you see positive futures represented much more, but not in cinema. You see them in advertisements. I can't tell you how many positive visions oh, of the future I made while working at Google. Every, it, it, you know, every Dyson phone. air purifier in this beautiful, peaceful yeah. Apple is maybe the preeminent like positive visions of the future of storyteller. You know, and it's 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 maybe a little bit nearer term than some of these apocalyptic movies, but but um, yeah, our old professor used to always say like everybody can agree on a dystopia, but almost nobody can agree on a utopia. Like. Very few of us want the same future. And again, it's just like, well, the future you want, a lot of times it has like you on top. We can't all, we can't all share that future, you know? Elysium. <laughs> so like you see all these visions of the future, but it's always to sell somebody's something. Yes. Or almost always. Um, or, you know, elect me because I'm giving you this vision. Of the I'll future. give you a better future. Right. Quote, unquote, yeah. But then like when, you know, you can show a dumpster fire and everyone's like, yeah, don't want that. <laughs> yeah, so maybe you can tell us good stories that more people will like. And so that we can kind of start finding points that maybe we can agree on. Well, one one thing that I um, tried to keep as the tone for the Changing World Order thing was that, like, it, it's not good or bad that there's one country that's the hegemon that, you know, dominates the world. And it's it's not good or bad to be in the declining part or the rising part like it sucks to be in the war part. I think universally. no, it's still very objectively. But That's like, true. yeah, but like there there are good situations at any point in the cycle, you know, and um and the the that like. But now I know. you know I invested twenty five years of my life into a country that was on the up and now it's on the down and I'm like well. But if you look at a lot of these post <laughs> these post imperial countries, they're fantastic places. You know, like the Netherlands, is like a beautiful They're place. Peaceful and easy. Like you can And very homogenistic, <laughs> these countries. They are, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that plays into just, it. No, no, you didn't tell it in a bad or a good way. It's just like once you understand the information, you start getting like feelings about it. But that's on the person, right? Like, I don't know. Ironically, it's still horsepower. But like that whole idea was moving humanity forward so like maybe the idea of the animation thing or whatever is going to change the story is maybe we just need to start from scratch sometimes yeah i mean amazing software but it's you know it's really overpowered all these all these tools and and what what i see out on the market now you have some things that are like you know they're basically taking like a feature from one of these overpowered pieces of software and just making it really simple Hmm. Uh, there's like this app called Boards. It's like a storyboarding app. Oh, nice. And, you know, you can't really do anything on it that you can't do in Google Slides, but you, you don't want to do any of that other stuff, so it just makes doing storyboarding easier. Does it do the, like, the animatronic, like, not the animatronic. The animatic. So the animatics. Yeah, yeah it's just, yeah. it's built for that one thing, and people seem to like it, and, you know, I see it pop up when, when I'm doing projects now. People are using it, and... No, there are new things that are working. Like I was actually like I made I made a starting using Miro, which oh, okay. is yes. which is really cool. Like for for the first time, like I can just throw things on a board, and it literally feels like a board. Like mm-hmm. that, that I would have expected to have developed earlier. There were there were attempts, you know. In Vision we made Drive, one at Google and, called Jamboard. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like so, it's. I think Miro has been a good one that didn't exist before. It's like doing something that hasn't been done, but you think that like, oh, we've always needed boards. Like I was just using an Illustrator file for this, which took forever, the more images you put in kind of thing. So there are new things that are coming out that are interesting. I liked, I, it was interesting what you said earlier about technology is how we move through the world. Cause you know, if you think of like a, a, a group of people or a society 
you know, if they, if they want to go somewhere, they, they can't get there. They have to invent something that will get them there, right? Yes. So if they want to go across the ravine, but they, you know, but they can't fly, they figure out how to build a bridge to get across, right? And, that's, and that's the movement of technology. Yeah. And so, like, you know, but the, is, is the bridge good or, or bad? You know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I always think, like, technology isn't good or bad. It just is. And, like, or it's both. It's always both. Yeah. Like, it's invented, presumably, for a reason. You know, there has to be some reason why it was invented. It's not inherently good or bad, but it's supposed... We, we wouldn't invent it if it, we knew it was going to be bad for us. Like, we invented the car, but we would have never imagined how many accidents, cars, would, how many deaths cars would cause. And I think about the future now, not that, I'm, not that I'm being hyperbolic about technology and being a Luddite, but, like, I wonder if we are making wise decisions. I mean, you've worked in AI and, and creating systems that are supposedly there to help us. And... I wonder if that's true. I wonder if it really does help us. Oftentimes, especially as a filmmaker, stories, fictionalized stories about technology don't help us. And I wonder why that's the case. Well, I think... Oh, yeah. I just watched Moonfall this summer. So I mean, this weekend. Oh, that's with Halle Berry? Yeah. And also, she did not age. Like, she just went back in years. (laughs) The guy, Patrick Stewart, got old. She got younger. Anyway, that's a side note. But yeah, Moonfall. Like again, AI taking over the world because it takes like once once it becomes its its own power, like um, it becomes this that becomes you know attacks the humanity. Do they drop the moon on us, the AIs? Oh no, you have to watch it. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think the better for us is you know very subjective, right? Like somebody being able to get an advertisement for their product in front of millions of people through their phones and their pockets it's like it's good for them it's good right for them. <laughs> it's good for them it's probably not good for the millions of people who are being distracted uh, by that right so you know then it becomes like well who's it good for mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like I, the thing i mean i i'm such a curmudgeon these days but <laughs> you know, I'm like oh, I, I don't, you know, on, on kids get off my lawn type of commercial. Very much, very much, yeah. So you know, like on a social media network, I'm like, well, if you're not broadcasting, then like you're you're giving the network more value than you're getting out of it. You know, if you're consuming, like you're being exploited, and that's just the, that's just the economics of how the platform works, and. Uh, you know, but it's designed to be like really hard to resist, right? It's like it's really hard to resist. We it's we go on there for, for all these professional reasons, right? Because that's where a lot of business gets done now. Yeah, if I didn't have to, I always say this. I, I think I've said it half of our episodes. Like, if I didn't have to, I would have shut down my social media. But it's it's how I do my work. I can't I can't do what I do without it. Yeah, and if you think of the people who are like really getting the value out of it, um, it's not just that you're reading their tweets or like. Uh, reading their articles or going to their websites, but like you're consuming the ads that they're putting out through those networks, or you're reading the conversation that other people are having. So like just the net net influence of how much you're getting out on it versus how much you're kind of like paying for it, I think is like out of balance for the vast majority of people. And now for our favorite part of this and every episode, our signature cocktail. Uh, we've asked Jonathan to come up with a recipe of a drink that embodies storytelling. Jonathan, what do you have for us? I was going to talk about a Vu Carre cocktail. I'm probably not even pronouncing it right. <laughs> um, I've never it's, heard of it. Yeah, it means old square in French, I'm pretty sure. It's from New Orleans oh, where okay, it was yeah. invented. And it's very strong uh, <laughs> and a little sweet. It's delicious. I really like it. It's rye. Cognac, Benedictine, that's kind of the unusual ingredient. What is Benedictine? It's like a liqueur, uh, and it's a really cool bottle. And then it's got some bitters in it, too. And it it sounds really boozy. (laughs) I got it somewhere around here. Like, it might have been an Attaboy. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think it was was somewhere else, because it was was a while ago. But I asked for something that was like an old-fashioned, but different, um, but strong. And they're like, well, I got this. And when they when they put it down, it looked beautiful. Uh, like, here's a vucre. Or, you know, like it sounded cool when they served it. <laughs> and it was delicious. And I was having a really good time. And so 
like I'll make it sometimes when people come over because it's just like that most people have never had it before and like they almost never have it at someone's home because mm. like, there's that's a lot of ingredients. True. That's why I trusted you to come up with a good one. Uh, yeah, and it's, you know, <laughs> it's it's like a highbrow Long Island iced tea is what uh, <laughs> some people have called it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sounds divine and I can't wait to try no, one. Jonathan has but a if, full bar at home with uh, the whole setup, so. Yeah, if you go to, like, if you're at a good cock- place that makes good cocktails, like, they'll know what it is, and the, that's where I would suggest ordering it. All right. That's Because it takes point. some practice. Because <laughs> every, every ingredient has booze in it. Sounds great. Thank you for hanging with us. You can find a recipe for a Vuparay on our website, GatsbyFridays.com. Jonathan, thank you so much for being our guest uh, for this episode. We yeah. really appreciate having you. Oh, I love being here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, where can people find you? Where can people find your work? How can people get in contact with you? I'm on the internet. Uh, <laughs> Just the general <laughs> wide web? <laughs> Just yeah. Google I'm me. at Jonathan Jarvis, jonathanjarvis.com, universalpatterns.com. That's um, great. Excellent. Yeah, drop me a line. If you want to leave a comment, suggest a show topic, DM us on Insta. We want to hear from you. Don't forget to rate us and give us five stars and write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to get us in front of more ears and build an audience. Or if you're a Spotify person, be sure to follow Gatsby Fridays. Till next week, stay with us. This, this is, is Gatsby, Gatsby Fridays. Fridays.